Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. All right, let's read Acts 4, verse 29. And uh, we're going to go down to verse 37. And today my message is called Mega Church Exposed. So, what we've seen so far is that Peter and John, they are going to temple courts for prayer. And they are greeted by this lame person who was lame from birth at the gate called Beautiful. And the kind of guy reaches out and they say, look, silver and gold we don't have. What we do have, we give to you. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And amazingly, this, this man was raised to his feet and his, and, and his feet and ankles became strong. That's what the scripture says. And you'd think this would be a great cause of celebration, but actually all it did is it just totally unsettled the town that like people were freaking out about this. Like there was some that were celebrating, but as we looked at last week, the religious elites were hating it because Peter and John were kind of, if you like, undermining them in some way. And they were understanding that they were growing in influence in Jerusalem. And this was a problem for the Sadducees uh, and the temple guards and the priests of the temple because it challenged their authority in some way. They were quite insecure. And so what they did is they put them in jail for a night because they were hoping if they could just discourage Peter and John, then it would just shut their mouth and that they would come out of prison kind of reformed. But you know, as we read last week, that Peter's response to that is, listen, we're not going to shut up about this. Like, Jesus is too good. His plans are too good for people. We are not going to back down. We are not going to be quiet. And so we see that the church are unable to be tamed and contained. And, and really what we see is this inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth, that Jesus is beginning to build his church through ordinary people like Peter and John. And we saw that last week, that the observation of the people of Peter and John were not that these people were amazing and just hovering in the Holy Spirit and just like incredible. What it says is that they were ordinary, unschooled people who had been with Jesus. And so the power and the authority didn't flow through their own credentials or who they were, but the fact that they had been in the presence of Jesus. And really the challenge to us is that like understanding that sometimes we disqualify ourselves from God doing profound things through us because we think maybe the pastor's job is that or maybe these people that we see on God TV, that's their job or, or maybe like the Phil Coleman's in this world, the Richard Gartens, they're the ones who'd go and do great stuff. But the truth is it is ordinary people like you and me, unschooled ordinary people. And I know some of you here may be schooled and may be academic and that doesn't rule you out either. But just understand this, it is not your education and it is not your qualification that sets you up and qualifies you for use in the kingdom. It's a heart that is surrendered and yielded to Jesus' presence. And so that's what we see. And, and, and we see that the whole thing just breaking out. I'm just going to take this one out. It's annoying me a little bit. And so this is where we pick up in verse 29 because they're experiencing threats here from the people. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats. This is Peter praying here, Peter and John. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was, what does it say? Shaken. And they were all filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. We continue. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I think when we read that, we're all kind of inspired and we think, I'd love to be part of a church like that. But immediately what you're thinking is, is you're thinking as a receiver, not as a giver. And often we do that when we read the scripture. God, just imagine... Just imagine never being without need. Just imagine everybody giving kind of just to the cause of Christ, to the point that there's no needy people in the room. You know, then I would have no more need. And that's an amazing thing. But actually, God's intention is not just that we would become consumers and receivers of the mandate of the church, but that we would be participants and contributors to the mandate of the church. Amen? And so today, I want to look at the mega church exposed. The world, if you haven't noticed, is increasingly not just anti-Christ. Uh, I mean, we know that's how it goes. Uh, you know, if you've read your Bible, if you've read Revelation, we see that the age becomes anti-Christ. There is an anti-Christ spirit at work in the world. But it's also becoming increasingly anti-church. It's actually becoming anti-church. And we see this with all of the agendas at play in the world. And of late, there has been loads of scrutiny on the megachurches in the world. So, by the world's definition, to be a megachurch, if you want to qualify as a megachurch, you need at least 2,000 people in regular attendance to be a megachurch. That's kind of the world's definition, to be a megachurch. And what we're seeing is documentary after documentary of the media scrutinizing, maybe in some in some ways wrongly so, and in other, in other ways maybe rightly so, scrutinizing the activities and behaviors of these significant churches. And, you know, actually we shouldn't be scared of the truth, but at the same time, sometimes these things are hard to watch because uh, ultimately they cause us to become cynical and skeptical about the church of Jesus Christ. And I remember watching one documentary called Mega Church Exposed, and it was specifically really about Hillsong. Uh, but not long into it, I could see that really Hillsong was just the vehicle for this media company to really just undermine the influence of the church in the world. And so I couldn't really watch it, to be honest. But I know that there's a new documentary, and it's called something like The Secrets of Hillsong. And there's a lot of bad stuff in there. I'm not saying Hillsong are innocent whatsoever. But the problem we face is that non-Christians are watching this stuff and drawing conclusions about the motives of our heart, the intentions of our ministries and mission. And I think that becomes the backdrop then in which Jesus is calling us to go and make disciples in a world that is increasingly skeptical and cynical about our very existence. 
And uh, to be honest, there's just so many documentaries on YouTube, just hit piece after hit piece on the church. And um, sometimes I think we can go, well, mega church is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And I actually don't think it is completely a bad idea, honestly. I'm not saying we're called to be a mega church in this way. But, um, you know, with a few guys from Sunny Hill, I've been to different significant churches, churches who wield incredible influence over Christendom, uh, places like Saddleback, places like Hillsong, places like C3, um, places like Cottonwood, places like Mariners, significant churches in the Western world that are ridiculous. Um, there was a team of us a few years ago before COVID who went over to California, and we went and visited some churches. And the first one we went to, not long after we landed, was Saddleback, um, Rick Warren's church. And I'm telling you, it was like if church and Disney World had a baby, that was it. Like it was unreal. Like there was just water features everywhere and like fires, just like, like fires that were intended, not just things on fire. Not like kids over Boscombe just setting things on fire, like intentional fires and amazing water displays and baptistries that flowed into rivers and incredible auditoriums and just like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, just looking at the, the mass and the vision and the size of their expectation, just unbelievable. We went to another church, Mariners, and there they had three buildings on one site. And when you get to the car park, you kind of, there's um, we didn't use it, but there's like a train stop. And you get a train to the, the service you want to go to. And, and it's kind of like, what would you like today? Would you like kind of progressive modern church? Or would you like more Anglican-style communion? Or would you like country music worship kind of thing? And, you know, jump on this land train, and you can just go to whatever service you want. And so scattered across their land was like these huge arenas. And, like, even their chapels were built like modern Anglican kind of architecture. Just unreal. And, and I was just there, and you know, you're, you're kind of, wow, this is amazing. And you're trying to fight jealousy, because you're like, just one of these buildings, Lord. Just one of them. I'll just take one of them. Even the kids' building, I'll take that one, Lord. Like, the kids' building was unreal. Like, it, we went to, uh, when we were in Australia, we went to a church, and they had a movie month. And there was teenage turtles, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, abseiling from the rafters. There was like bubbles coming out of the wall. It was just like, oh my word, like this is unreal. In fact, there was one funny occasion where we went to a church called Cottonwood in Orange County, a church of about eight or 9,000. And myself, Adam, Danny, Scott, and I think there was someone else, but I can't remember who. Richard. Oh, Richard, that's right. Awkward. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Who's that again? The guy who left at Christmas. Okay, the blanket guy. He was with us as well. And um, we went to this church, and it was just magnificent. And we had time with the pastor and the assistant pastor. And we went into their board meeting room. Okay. And just imagine, like, just imagine, like, walking there with me. It was totally white. Just white. Marble floor like this kind of glass marble worktop and like this impressive board table that probably sat like 20 around it. And then they had, they didn't have a whiteboard. They had like the kind of thing they have in the FBI, like one of those see-through boards that you draw on with white pen. It was amazing. I'm like, God's presence is truly here. <laughs> and there, down the side of the wall, loads of fruit, exotic fruit, fresh fruit, and then two smoothie machines, okay, either side of the wall. 
And so I'm thinking, well, I'm not touching that because I could see they had some cans in a fridge, so I had a can of pop. Um, but Adam, my brother, it was brilliant because he was like, oh, I'm going to have a smoothie. And I'm like, yes, go for it. And so he's grabbing all of the, the weird stuff like kale and all that minging stuff you like healthy people putting smoothies, you know, like the crazy vegans do. And, you know, collecting it, walking down, grabbing all these things, spinach and all that, putting it into this blender, yeah, loads the whole thing right up, yeah, and forgets to tie down the lid, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and he, he pushes the button, zoom, like the whole thing hits the roof, goes all over him, over the floor, over the fruit, on the wall. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, this is awesome. This is so good. This is so good. And, and Adam, like it couldn't have happened to a better person because if it would have been me, I would have found it funny, but my brother's a bit of an introvert, so that sort of thing's immensely humiliating for him. And the fact that I am laughing my head off, I'm like, that is ridiculous, you idiot. What are you doing? Like, put the lid on. And he's got it all over him. And uh, it was all over this floor, this room that they just had finished on. It was, it was perfect. It was so good. And um, uh, why do I tell you that? I don't know. It was just funny, to be honest. It was funny. And, um, <laughs> you know, he starts clearing it up. He's got a couple of serviettes. And then, like, they just press a buzzer or something, and this little Hispanic woman comes in with a mop and starts sorting it out. It's just a horrible situation, but immensely funny. Okay, but we've been in these places. And I think it's kind of an interesting picture because so often what we do is, well, maybe you don't. So often what I have done is you look at the superficial aspects of the megachurch, the crowds, the building, the production, the music. Like all of those components in some way can appeal to the flesh. But it may be interesting for you to know that even though the world defines a megachurch as a church that has more than 2,000 people in attendance on a regular basis, God determines the church as being mega in a different way. And we actually see this in the passage today. And so I want us to look at it just for a moment because it's kind of so interesting what we see. So look at this. We're going to go back to verse 29 in Acts chapter 4. If you can put it up, please, Jude, that would be so good. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Can you put that verse up, please, Jude, the first one? There we go. Great boldness. Okay. What's so funny? He's over there. Jude, Jude, come here, Jude. Jude, you got one job this Sunday, dude. If I see you down here again, no lunch, all right? All right. Speak your word with great boldness. Now, I've done the hard word for you. What word do I think I want you to look at? Great. Great. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Okay, so I'm going to let you in on something now. Three times this word great appears in this passage today. And the Greek word, if you look at the original text, it's a five-letter word, and the word is this, megas. What word do you think we get from megas? Mega. So we see this prayer, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with mega boldness. 
It's an interesting thing because they acknowledge that the boldness they need doesn't originate with man. Like the assignment that God has given the church requires mega boldness, but it's not just about how confident you can muster yourself to be. And like, oh, come on, Dom, come on, Dom, just talk Jesus. They recognize that it was an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That it was the Holy Spirit that filled them and made them bold in a mega way. Reach, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name of your Holy Spirit. Can you go to the next slide, please, Jude? We're going to come back in a moment, but go to the next slide. It says, all the believers, okay, now in the Greek there, it's where we get the word multitude. So at this point, there are thousands upon thousands of believers. We reckon probably at least 20 to 25,000 believers in the church at this point, men, women, and children. So if you've got a bee in your bonnet about mega church, you'd hate the early church, okay? <laughs> because there were multitudes. Were one in heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with what? Great power. What do you think the word is there for great? Mega. Mega power. Mega power. Again, power is not something you can muster. You can pray louder, but that doesn't give you more power. You can decree all the things you want in the world. But unless you know in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit, then all you're doing is you're trying to be powerful in your own strength. But in this situation, what we're seeing is that with great, with mega power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, and this one now. And God's, in the NIV, it's not there, but in the original, it is there. That's why I put it in there. And God's great what? Grace. God's great grace. So God's mega Grace was so powerfully at work in them all, in them all. So we see that the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection, but the great grace was so powerfully at work in them all. This morning, God has really been speaking to us prophetically about his goodness and his faithfulness and how his mega grace continues to follow us all the days of our life. That's what it says in Psalm 23. His goodness and mercy follow me. His grace follows me, that there were no needy persons among them. So I just want to kind of bring to your attention here how God defines megachurch. It's a church that operates with mega boldness, mega power, by mega grace. That's the mega church. It's not about how many people can we get into a room for a moment. Because actually, just because something's big does not mean it's healthy at all. You can be in a big church and it can be toxic as. And in the same way, you can be in a small church and it can be so healthy. Because what makes a church mega is the mega boldness, the mega power and I would say, most importantly, the mega grace. The mega grace is the kindness of God expressed to us. I like the acronym of grace. If you get your finger out, this is a good way to remember it. If you, is it called an, ac an acrostic, where you take the letter? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is a free gift. You cannot earn the grace of God. And the good news about that is, is because you cannot earn it, if you have a bad day, you can't lose it. 
And the, the challenge is, is the religious spirit in the church wants you to constantly think that you're just missing the mark and therefore missing the grace. Now, let me tell you, you are always missing the mark. You are never able to hit the mark. Be encouraged. And that's why we throw ourselves on the goodness of God, because we acknowledge our inability to live a righteous and holy life as, as we need to in order to experience salvation, unless we put our confidence in the fact that Jesus has already done it for us. And as we do that, we receive the mega grace of God. The early church was mega. It was mega in number, but make no mistake about it, the thing that made it great was the boldness, the power, and the grace of God. The church couldn't manufacture boldness, couldn't manufacture power, couldn't manufacture grace. Only God can give these things. Only God can make a church mega. Mega, I'll, I'll say this, mega is not about quantity, it's about quality. The quality of our worship. And when I mean that, I don't mean the sound, I'm talking about the heart. The quality of our surrender, the quality of our service. And I guess, like, as I was reading this passage, just because I like to be quite practical and we don't have a lot of time, I kind of want to say that there are three things that only God can give us. Boldness, power, grace. These things we cannot muster, okay? These mega things. But what did the early church do in order to draw these, this favor of heaven, if you like, into their existence? And I want us to look at verse 31 at the beginning. Look at what it says here. Can you put up the first one again, please? Jude, go back one. Verse 31, after they prayed, everyone say prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God. Prayer is integral to a megachurch. It's not an optional thing. That's why it's one of the three driving components of our Dream Builders commitment that we are a church that prays into the vision. We're a church that prays into circumstances. We have to be a praying church. And by that, I'm not saying we have to have more prayer meetings. What I mean is we have to be a praying people. We have to be praying individuals. I find myself just with that conviction over and over again these days that when I'm confronted with a challenge, when I'm confronted with a problem, when somebody says, oh, I'm just, I've got this thing going on in my life, is rather than say, okay, yeah, I'll pray for you at some point and then forget to pray for them, I'm like, let's pray right now. Like making prayer, it's an old platitude, but it's helpful. Our first response, not our last resort to introduce prayer into the heart of who we're becoming as a follower of Jesus. And so I'm doing that more intentionally. I invite you to do the same at summer camp when we're hanging out and someone says, oh, I've had backache for the last like six months. Don't just go, oh, that sucks, man. Do you want me to massage it? That would be weird as well if you start massaging people at summer camp. Uh, unless you're qualified like Johanna Briella, even then probably don't do it because it is a bit weird. But like if someone says something like, oh, I've got this issue with my dad right now or you know, rather than just express a, a, a sentiment of compassion, say, well, let's pray into that together right now. Making prayer integral to who we are as a Christian community is the thing that draws, I believe, I believe it releases the power of God in our community. 
incidentally, we've got a prayer gathering tonight. And, you know, when we were talking about it, we were thinking, well, it is August. Everyone's away in August. You know, is it worth doing? And it took us about 0.8 seconds to go, it's always worth doing. You know, if there's just two of us, and there will be, because me and Louise will be there, and we'll take our kids, so there'll be five of us. So that's extra power right there. And anyone else who fancies the drive over to Corf Mullen this evening at 6 p.m., and this isn't a guilt trip whatsoever, but ultimately what we've got to do is just really champion and value the power of prayer in a Christian community because it's what makes a church mega. It releases the power of God. Have you noticed that the testimonies that we're hearing, like, and there's some amazing testimonies in the making right now. I'm loving just listening to it. But it all starts with prayer. Like this was happening and then I prayed and God did this. Like prayer releases something. And so I want to give you three thoughts just about prayer. And they're going to be real quick. Prayer proves our need for God. An independent spirit doesn't pray. Because you think you can come up with the goods and the answers yourself. What prayer does is it proves, God, I need you in this situation. And so often prayer is the thing that like, we just overlook. And, and we just think, well, I talked about it to somebody. It counts as prayer. But ultimately the scripture says that we need to bring our petition and our request before God. And he knows what we need before we even ask him. So why do we bring it if he knows what we need? Because it shows that, Lord, we're dependent on you. Prayer proves our need for God. Secondly, prayer keeps us close to God. Keeps us in the proximity of his presence. I, I was even thinking this, and it, you know, it talks, normally it's attributed to marriages, but I think it's true. A church that prays together stays together. Why? Because unity flows from the presence of God. And I'm jumping the gun just a little bit, but prayer keeps us close to God. And finally, and this is really important, prayer moves things in the spirit. Understanding that we are a spiritual entity, we're a spiritual church, we're a spiritual family, which means that every challenge and hardship and difficulty we face, whilst it may present itself in the physical Actually, we go to war in the spirit. Are you? Oh, Siri didn't get that. He says, I didn't get that. Could you try again? Yeah, I'll try again. So often what we do is we see a physical issue and we address the physical issue with a physical solution. But you have to understand that first and foremost, we are spirit beings. Amen. And that's why Paul says the battle we face is not against flesh and blood because so often we deal with it on a physical level. Because when we deal with physical problems in a physical way, we feel physically productive. <laughs> but prayer, what it does is it understands that this is a spiritual issue, that the problem may be manifesting in the physical, but this is a spiritual battle that I am in. And so I'm going to deal with the things in the spirit. So like sometimes, maybe there's the relational struggle and you just go, oh, the reason this is a problem is because he's an idiot, okay? And me and Louise are having a lengthy conversation with our son Caleb over something yesterday about this. And ultimately, it may manifest itself in a physical way, but actually what you want to do is you want to come to the Lord in prayer and start dealing with that spirit of division and dissension that exists to try and pull people apart. Amen?
Amen. Right, okay. Second of all, verse 32a. Listen to this. All the believers were in one heart. I love it in the actual Greek. It says, and one soul. Okay, but we in the NIV says mind, I think, up there. Um, and the Greek word for that is psyche. It speaks to our, uh, so you've got heart, which is cardia. It's like our emotions, our feelings. It's not talking about our physical heart. And the mind or soul that it's talking about here is our thought processes. And so it says about this early church that all the believers were in one heart, okay, so in their emotions and feeling about their present situation and the future, and they were also in one mind, the way they thought. And listen, um, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. The second thing I want to say that draws the, 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 the favor of God and what makes us a mega church, first of all, it's prayer. The second thing is unity. Unity. Unity is so integral to the Christian community that God is wanting to build into the church. And we see this. This early church were mega because they were one in heart and one in mind. Satan wants us to be divided as a church. In fact, I would say as a lead pastor, the biggest demand on my time is trying to ensure that that doesn't happen. Like I would say, 90% of my job is conflict and confrontation management, right? Because church is filled with people. And people have cardias, right? In other words, they have feelings. And people have minds. People have thoughts. And what the Spirit wants to do is to make us bring our individual existence and form us into one body, one family, And the only way that can happen is if we understand that this one body can only have one head. And that one head isn't me. And that one head isn't you. The one head is Christ. But as the the family comes together, that body ministry begins to play out. And I believe it just releases the blessing of God. In fact, in the Psalms, we read, it says that where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, where God's people dwell in unity, there God commands a what? A blessing. A blessing. If we want to know greater blessing, then we have to commit ourselves to greater unity. Yeah? 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 What does, okay. Let's, uh, what does the word unity begin with? Begins with who? Yeah, exactly. So I'm telling you. Unity begins with you. So often we... Someone else will deal with this. And I just feel the baby just really Pentecostally agreeing with me. Yeah, preach. I'm speaking in tongues, waiting for an interpretation. Let's go. Ga, 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 ga. Awesome. All in. I love kids who engage. So good. You know, one of the, one of the most significant encouragements that I have experienced this year at Sunny Hill Church in ministry was at our Dream Builders celebration. Wasn't it amazing? So good, getting all of the committed core into one moment, in one meeting, in one room, and there was a thing that Colin and Joe did, which was like one-minute testimonies. Do you remember that? And there was a clock on the screen, and people kind of just shared, what has God done in the last year? And there were so many good testimonies about breakthrough and healings and just God doing great things through the ministry and the church. But without doubt, my favorite moment was when a mom kind of testified 
And she says, my car broke down. I couldn't afford one, so my small group bought me one. I was like, I was undone at that point. I was like, Jesus, come back now. I don't think I can hear anything better than that. And you might go, what? But just that idea of self-sacrifice. That not just saying, oh, your car's broke down. That really sucks. Like, yes, let's pray. But going to the next level, we'll pray and God will provide through us the breakthrough you're looking for. I mean, I immediately said on the microphone, I request a small group transfer right now in Jesus' name. And Dave Evans, who's currently on holiday, said, granted. <laughs> He's in my small group. He's now moved to France. We've kicked him out of the country. He's not allowed back. It is what it is. We think this little of you, you can go and live in France with the rest of them. Okay? I'm joking. Right? So unity draws, this is point one, draws the blessing of God. Number two, unity is our greatest witness to the world. Like unity is a tool for witnessing. In a world that is so divided, a world that is so fractured, in a world that is so polarized, when the church stands as one, actually it's a witness to the world. Like the world are like, what? This is different. The problem is, see, so often in church it looks the same as the world. You can't really tell where the world ends and the church starts. Because we still come with that consumer mentality and that desire to be the head. But actually, when we commit ourselves to unity, we should look so different to the world because, you know, what I love about Sunny Hill is we're not all the same. It's like we've got different ages. We've got different backgrounds. We've got people recently saved, first-generation believers. We've got people who have grown up in the faith and son of ministers and daughters of ministers. And we've got a whole plethora, what a word, a plethora of people with their backgrounds, also with their issues. But as we come together as the church of Jesus Christ and choose unity, God commands a blessing. Unity is our greatest witness to the world. And finally, and I like this one, unity blocks the devil's agenda. I like that. Jesus says in Matthew 12, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A house that is divided against itself. This thing extends to your own family home as well. Satan wants to divide you as couples, wants to divide you as families in relationship with your children, wants to divide you as friendship groups, wants to divide us as Christian communities. But when we commit ourselves to unity, it blocks the devil's agenda. Because in order for unity to take place, we all have to acknowledge, this is not about me. This is all about him. And so all of my desires, all of my wants, all of my preferences die on the altar of unity. Because unity is a thing that draws the blessing of God. Unity blocks the devil's agenda. And finally, we're going to end here. Uh, does the handsome keyboarder, where is he? Does he want to just jump on the keys and just play there? I'm not playing myself out. That will be a new low for me. Okay, generosity. Okay, verse 32. Look at this. All the believers were one in heart. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Everything they had. Verse 37 and 36, 37, we see that Barnabas sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's this spirit of generosity. Generosity flows from unity. You know, three things that generosity brings us, if you like. Uh, first of all, 
generosity ensures a harvest. Ensures a harvest. I'm just going to read this a minute. 2 Corinthians 9. It's not going to be on the screen. But I think you just need to hear it. 2 Corinthians 9. Maybe, and maybe the band should come up because I do need that accountability to stop. So 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Uh, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap. What does it say? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap what? Once again with conviction. Wakey, wakey. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap. Whoever sows generously will also reap. The harvest we experience in life is in proportion to the seed that we sow. Normally, we reduce that passage to financial giving. And it applies to that. But it's actually about being generous in spirit. It's, it's more than just money here. If you want to prosper relationally, sow intentional, healthy relationship into your friendships. If you want to have a harvest in your marriage, sow selfless love into your marriage. I think it's always an interesting bit of scripture, that. Because I think the way we are wired in a consumeristic society is like, how much can we keep? But what we see is quite different. <laughs> because, like, do you notice in this passage, like, the more, I wrote it down, I'm going to make sure I say it well, because it matters to me. Our relationship to one as our relationship to one another gets tighter, our relationship to stuff gets looser. I was expecting a mega ass amen there. Didn't come. But let me just say this. All the believers were one in heart and mind, unity. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. As their heart grew bigger for one another and for the presence of God, their heart for stuff got smaller. This is really important because so often, go on, George, let's go. One, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Let's go. I, I'm really down with that, by the way. No, I actually like that. Like, sometimes I feel like church just kind of just, like, towards the end of the service, slowly just dies a death. Like, get out for a coffee while you can. Like, so the idea of going out rocking is like, I'm always so much more appealing to me. Like, last week we ended with praise, and I think people were like, this isn't what we do here. Normally, we awkwardly sing a song to conclude the service. But yes, George, let's go, yeah. So listen to this. Generosity. <laughs> All right, you know, compromise, right? Because I've still got to speak, you know. No, no, we keep going, though. I just, like, find that middle decibel, yeah? Like, I feel like I want to sing Bon Jovi or something. Come on, living on a prayer. <laughs> Oh, sorry, Hannah. Yeah, okay. That's why you need good women around you in ministry. Let's keep you on the narrow. Generosity ensures a harvest. Point two, generosity frees us from the consumer spirit of the world. It literally binds that spirit of keep and hoard. 
It's like as we loosen our hands, and sometimes it's like, Grrr. but what generosity does as we as we give out, it literally flies in the spirit of this age, which is like it's all about me, it's all about hoarding, it's all about keeping. But Jesus says, you know, don't store your treasures on earth like where moth and rust destroy, but invest in the economy of heaven. In other words, you can't outgive God. When you pour yourself out, there is always a harvest coming your way. So important that we get our head around that. Point three, I love this, and it's Proverbs 11. Solomon says this, generosity makes our world bigger and bigger. He says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. If we're talking about being a mega church, then we have to be mega in our generosity. Generous in the way that we give to church, generosity in the way we give to one another, generosity in the way we give time and energy to our colleagues, generosity. So let me just recap, because I can feel Hannah's eyes just burning through my skull, like, ah, finish. It's like, just go, go where you can. <laughs> yes. Mega church is defined by these factors. Great boldness, mega boldness, mega power, and mega grace. How do we see God pour those into our existence? By mega prayer, mega unity, and mega generosity. Amen.